mix of um, mixture of emotions and thoughts when it comes to the end times, because in one sense we as believers that's our hope, that's our that's our day of victory, that's our day of reward, that's our day we've we've believed for. But for those who are uncertain and those who are in unbelief, it's a day of great warning and concern. And as a church who believes in the full counsel of scripture, it's a necessary message for us to preach. I'll just say up front today, it's going to be uncomfortable. I also want you to know though that I'm not doing this to try to guilt, scare, or threaten anybody into heaven. I want to speak the same things that Jesus says, however, because Jesus was filled with a passion to see everyone go to heaven. Amen? Uh, It's not his will that any should perish. He's not looking to condemn and frighten and cause people to live in hell, whether on earth or in hell, but that all might come to know him. So the subject of end times is uh, it's a common theme throughout scripture. It's not just an isolated topic that you just find in a couple of passages. In fact, of the 39 Old Testament books, 17 of them deal with the end times in some way. Of the 27 New Testament books, 23 deal with the end times subject in some way. Seven out of every 10 verses in the New Testament deal in some way with the end times. So we would not be good stewards if we did not deal with the subject of end times. I recognize it's not a popular one today. Um, in the 70s and early 80s, there was a period it was. Uh, and depending upon which church you've been in, any time since then, it might have been a subject. But it's one of those that um, is not common on the table today. Jesus talked about it with great certainty that it will happen. He will return. Jesus talked about it um, with, again, warning for those who do not believe and great encouragement for those who do. And the disciples and the followers of Jesus in his day didn't quite understand all the details and the timeline. And in honesty, all honesty today, I don't care who you have read, listened to, podcasts, messages who say, here's the definitive way it's going to happen and the timeline in which it's going to happen. I think if you got some of those people in a room alone and asked them, they'd say, I mean, I'm really just basing what I think is going to be in scripture, but who knows? I, I come from an era, a time frame where depending upon how you believe the end times are going to play out, it was a cause for separation from you. Right, So if you believe the rapture was going to occur, some people said, shame on you. I'm, I'm running away from you. Some people believe that you, if you didn't have the order in, of sequencing events, like uh, rapture, tribulation, and a thousand-year reign of Christ, if you had those out of sequence, it was a reason for you know, not being your friend anymore. I don't know that that, I don't think that that's right according to Scripture. Jesus said to look forward to his return and be ready. So you're going to hear me talk about the end times happen in a sequence of events today. I'm not going to build a biblical basis for why it should happen that way. I'm going to lay out what Jesus said and what I believe he was saying. Please do not get caught up in the sequence of events today. 
get caught up in the fact that Jesus is coming again someday. Amen? So, our message today is called Followers Embrace His Return. We do. I may not understand all the details of it. I might not be able to give you exact references for how that's all going to play out. But what I do is I embrace the fact that he is returning. And that should be our passion as well. Here is a list of Bible verses you can follow this week if you'd like for a daily Bible reading to keep up with this message today. These all follow this message and this theme. So feel free to take a picture of the screen with your phone. It'll also be in our church app. It'll be in our social media. It makes a great follow-up to this message today and a Bible reading plan for this week. When Jesus talked about his return, the bottom line was always this. Be ready. Be ready for my return. And the word that Jesus used for ready is the word that means to be prepared. Be, have your life in order in such a way that you are prepared for his return. You're not caught off guard by that moment. Now what's interesting, that word prepared, uh, it's similar to another word that's often used when it comes to referring to the end times. And you're going to relate to this because a lot of Christians do. It's the word prep preppers, you know? And so what you normally find among Christians is people who are prepping for the end times. And that usually means they're stocking up some water somewhere, they're stocking up some rice and some beans somewhere, and they're, they're stocking up an arsenal somewhere. Hello? That's usually what you find among Christians who are prepping for the end times. They're, they're getting ready for those end times. So when Jesus said, be ready, I really don't think that what he had in mind was stock up your house and your closet. He was talking more about get your life in order. Have your soul and your life ready for the day that he returns. Amen? So that's where I'm driving today. I'm not going to talk about prepping your house and prepping your closets and prepping your, your whatevers. I'm going to be talking about prepping your heart for that day. For all of us. For the unbeliever. The uncertain believer and the believer. There's a message that Jesus has for all of us in being ready. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 24. It's a passage where Jesus talks about the end times. We're going to jump in midstream in the conversation because it's long. Uh, What Jesus has to say here, we're going to start down in verse 36 and see what Jesus has to say to us about that time and how we should be ready. Here's what he says first, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. This is one of those moments where you think, okay, why are we all acting like we got this figured out when the angels of heaven do not know? And in fact, if you were to read this the same verse over in, um, in some other version, or you read the one that's in Mark related to it, it even adds, and the Son does not know. Jesus said, I don't know, the angels don't know, but my Father knows. And when it's time, he will say to me, Son, go get your bride, but not until then. So Jesus is saying, my Father knows this time. And when it comes... Two things will happen. The church will be caught away, but that will open the door for a time of judgment to fall upon the earth. A time of great trouble, a time of great tribulation, a time of great war, unlike the world has seen. 
a time of famine, a time of disease. It'll make the pandemic we've walked through look like a walk in the park in that day. There'll be worldwide chaos. There'll be a worldwide hatred for Jesus' followers who come to know him during that time. There'll be the establishment of a one world government. There'll be a synchronized financial system put in place so that one person manages all and he becomes the one that everyone looks to. In fact, you are required to bow down to this one, this beast, and he will cause all to have to take a mark of some kind. I don't know what exactly that is, but the Bible is clear that you will have to have that mark in order to buy and sell in that day. Now, in the 1970s, they were just trying to dream about what that could mean. Today, we don't have to dream very hard to understand that all of a sudden currency can be controlled digitally in a moment. A lot of us live by that already, and all it would take is some very powerful people to make some big decisions, and everything could change overnight. Jesus says, this time is coming. It'll be a time where you're required to worship this beast, and it will be a time in which death comes to all who refuse. Now, Jesus goes on and describes it as this, verse 37. He said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, now, now we've got a little bit of context. Now we've got a little bit of comparison that we can relate to because we know the story of Noah. We know what happened before. We know what happened during, and we know what happened after. And so Jesus says, as in the, or as in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So the day that Jesus comes back, it will be much like the days of Noah. So let's go back in our minds to the days of Noah. We know that the Bible tells us that God created man. We know that man sinned. We know that God gave man a way to have his sin paid for by the death of an animal through a sacrifice. We know this was all established. We know that God had called man to love him, to obey him, to walk in his ways. But what we find during the days of Noah is a growing resistance that has reached this pinnacle where not just one group is evil, not just one city is evil, not just a couple of neighborhoods are bad, but the Bible says the entire earth had gotten to the place where the thoughts of every man's heart was evil. Genesis 6.5 says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every motive, every thought, every action was evil on the earth. So it had reached this place of just complete resistance to God, completely given over to a hardened heart. Now, let me stop for just a moment here because there's a pattern in Scripture that we find. We all know that every person is born with a heart separated from God. Everyone is born 
in sin nature, with a sin nature, right? But what happens over time is if you reject God, harden your heart, then God gives those people over to even greater hardened hearts, more immorality, more, because they keep resisting and resisting. And God says, if you are going to reject me, I'll just, I'll let you have your way. Because God, in his sovereign plan, has made it so that faith is a choice of my will. He does not come up to anybody and grab them by the throat and demand that they follow him. Because at that moment, that is no longer faith. That is no longer love. That is force. And that's not God. It's not how God operates. He has made a way and he invites all to come. But for that to happen, there has to be a choice to come to him and there has to be the choice to not come to him. And over time, when generations of people and nations of people resist, the sin becomes greater and greater, even to the place where the Old Testament describes it as a people group or a nation reaching their full of sin, where their hearts are so hard that they have rejected and resisted. And this is why you find in the Old Testament certain people groups were destroyed because they had reached such a hardened heart that there was no place for repentance within them. They would not turn to the Lord. That's why the Bible talks about be careful of a hardened heart. It's dangerous. And so what you find in this Noah story is a time when sin had become rampant, sin had become common, rejecting God had become the way, and over a long period of time, they so resisted God that the response of God was going to be judgment upon them. Now, we find this same principle in the New Testament. If you're making some notes here, write down Romans 2.5. Because in Romans 2.5 it says, in accordance with the hardness and impenitent heart, in other words, a heart that refuses to repent, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. If you continue and nations continue and the world continues to resist God, the response of God will next be judgment. And so he says, there's coming a day, like in the days of Noah, where judgment will rain down upon the earth because that's what happened. Because the wickedness of the hearts of people became so great, God brought judgment upon the entire world and flooded the earth. That's not a fairy tale. That's not a made-up story. It is the truth of history from Scripture. And so this judgment is coming. And Jesus goes on and says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And you look and think, well, that doesn't sound like such a bad time. It was. It was horrendous. The thoughts of every person only toward evil. 
And what's missing in this verse is any recognition that God was God. Instead, the people had gotten to the place where in their evil, in their sin, in their hardened hearts, they were just going on and living life. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, the parents were giving their children off in marriage, and no one had any concern for the fact that they were rejecting God. No one had any concern for the fact that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, as it says in the New Testament. He wasn't just building a boat. He was preaching truth. And the Bible says that a hundred plus years went by of him building and preaching. And no one came. You talk about a sad ministry. I mean, it's you and your family at the church and that's it. No one else will come. Nobody. And it goes on for days, weeks, years, decades, nothing. No one comes. No one believes. Everyone mocks you. Everyone denies what you're saying. Everyone thinks you're ridiculous. And they go on living their lives as normal. They keep eating. They keep drinking. They keep marrying. They keep giving their kids off in marriage. And no one is concerned that they are just living life in the face of God. We're not going to do what you have to say. And their sin and their rebellion was normal to them. And this time period went on, Jesus says, until the day that Noah entered the ark. So life in rebellion, rejecting God, just goes on normal until one day. On this one day, Noah and his family entered the ark. Noah, the Bible says, had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Doesn't mean that God looked down and found grace in Noah. It meant that Noah looked up and he saw grace in God's eyes. He saw that he deserved punishment and death for his sin, but he found grace and he walked in righteousness and he obeyed God. He built the ark. He preached the truth. Even though everyone else laughed at him, he did what he was called to do. And then the day came where God told him to enter the ark, and he did. And when he did, the Bible is clear that God closed the door. Not Noah. God closed the door. And the minute it happened, until that day, and when that day happened, when Noah entered the ark, it says this in verse 39. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. The day that Noah entered the ark, everything changed. The day that Noah and his family were safe inside the place of protection, everything changed. When Noah and his family were caught away into the ark of safety, everything changed. Then the heavens above fell with water and the earth below erupted with water and judgment came on the earth. When? When Noah and his family entered the place of safety. These are Jesus' words. That's the sequence. And he says, in that moment, he says, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is how it's going to be. This is the pattern. God will 
protect his own, and then judgment will fall. Now, in Luke 17, Jesus used the example of Sodom and Gomorrah and said the same thing. He said, in that time, Lot, he went out from Sodom, and then the judgment fell. So, here's our first urgent message today. Judgment is coming. And the unbeliever must get ready. We have in our day war, famine, disease, crime, immorality. But the day of this type of judgment is unlike anything that the world has ever seen. Pick the darkest day in history and it will be nothing compared to that day. Great judgment will come. In Matthew 24, verse 21, Jesus said, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. A time of great judgment is coming. Again, it's one thing to live in troubled times, but to all of a sudden have a time when judgment falls upon the entire world. When the wrath of God that is being held back today is all of a sudden the barrier removed and the full weight of judgment upon sin falls upon the earth, that will be a day of great tribulation. Now, I believe the Bible describes that time uh, in various passages in, in the Old Testament and New Testament. And as it describes it, that period will last for seven years. It'll be a dark time, a difficult time. And I know some people might think, well, I mean, I don't, I'm not a believer right now. I'll just wait until then. And if that happens, then I'll believe. The trouble of that time will be so great. The deception of that time will be so wicked that there are very few who come to know the Lord during that time. There'll be such chaos. And for that, unbelievers must hear the message. Jesus is returning. He offers escape from the judgment to come. Don't wait any longer. Make your soul ready. Come to him. Come to his grace. Come by your choice, your heart's desire for him. Come and find forgiveness. Come and find life in him. You do not have to live in terror of that day or in the terror of an eternity apart from him, separated in hell. Judgment is coming. Unbelievers must get ready. Jesus continues and he describes this time period. I'm just walking verse by verse through the Matthew 24. We're into verse 40. Jesus said this. He says, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Again, Jesus is talking in the context of the Noah experience. 
and the believing family of Noah being removed and judgment falling. And Jesus said, so will the coming of the Son of Man be? He said, there'll be two people and they'll be in the field. And all of a sudden, one will be gone. There'll be two women who are working. And all of a sudden, one will be gone. I believe this is a reference to the great catching away or rapture of the church of Jesus from the earth. That those who believe in that day will experience a catching away. And in the same way that Noah and his family were brought into the ark and the door closed, then judgment fell. So will the coming of Jesus in that day be. He will catch away those who are his, and once they are safe inside heaven, the door closed, the judgment will fall upon the earth in that day. So our second message out of the passage today is this. Rapture is coming. The uncertain must get ready. This period of, uh, of rapture, you just think about it. If all of a sudden, in one day, one day's time, every believer around the globe was all of a sudden caught up and taken from the earth. One, can you imagine the chaos that that would bring upon the earth, just knowing that many people vanish? And believers doing all kind of things on that day. Not all necessarily sitting in their recliner in the living room. Some at work, some driving vehicles, some flying airplanes, some in very dangerous work-related situations. And all of a sudden, they are removed. That would bring an instant chaos upon the earth. But what it will also do is it will remove a righteous remnant from the earth. Did you know that believers are really the only restraining force right now stopping the world from just going absolutely mad. It's, it's gone absolutely mad already. But just imagine if every believer was removed, the presence of the Holy Spirit in every believer was all of a sudden removed from the earth. There would no longer be any reason why man would have to withhold any evil. He could do she could do whatever they wanted in that moment. No one would say no. No one would lift up a righteous standard. No one would say anything different than what they are saying. And this will bring a time of great chaos. Man and that day will be able to be in full rebellion against God, doing whatever he wants. The chaos will be greater. There'll be a rise of a one world government. There'll be the rise, as I mentioned earlier, of the requirement to take the mark of the beast and worship him. And the Bible describes a beheading that happens for those who refuse to believe. The Bible paints this very frightening picture. And it's something we must all consider. And again, some people say, well, I'll believe in that day if, I, if it happens. I'll wait to believe then. Well, the Bible also describes that time as a time when there will be many false prophets. There will be many who proclaim to be Christ, but they won't actually be Christ or have the message of Christ. And there will be a, 
a strong delusion in that day. There'll be a great deception. And the darkness will be greater than the light in that day. For that reason, anyone who is uncertain today of their faith should make things right. They should make certain that they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to go one step further. Because faith in Jesus Christ is not just a one-day decision. Faith in Jesus Christ shows up in a life. Faith has evidence to it. Faith has a walk to it. Faith has work that follows in it. James says in the New Testament, hey, the demons believe and they tremble at the name of Jesus. So don't just say you've named the name of Jesus and have no evidence in your life. Faith without evidence, James says, is dead. You have no faith. And the end time is meant to be a time of, or it should be a message of warning for the one who is riding the fence today, for the one who is uncertain today, for the one who's tried to play the middle today. Jesus would even say these words. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. If your faith is not genuine, real, and demonstrated in your life, and you actually are ashamed of Jesus and naming Jesus, then you should stop and consider the reality of your faith. Jesus said that, that those things can't go together. You can't name the name of Christ, but be ashamed of him. So much so that those who are saying they name the name of Christ, but are ashamed of him, they will be left behind in that day. And for that reason, those who are uncertain must get ready. Sadly, there'll be many people who will go on into the tribulation who are sitting in churches today. They'll show up at church on that following Sunday and think, hey, have you seen the Joneses? They haven't been here in a while. Oh, you mean Buddy and Paula? They disappeared. Yeah? They're not here anymore. Hey, don't be that couple that walks into church on that day. Hello? Uncertain. Must. Get. Ready. If you talk about prepping, prep your faith. Make sure your faith is real. Prep your life. Make sure you're living this stuff out. Not out of fear, but out of great awareness of the truth. Amen? Now, Jesus is not finished. Let's look at another section here, verse 43. Jesus said, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, Jesus uses an illustration here I think we can all relate to. That if you're at your house and you got word that somebody was going to break into your house at a certain time, 
if you knew at 2 a.m. they were coming because you had heard the word on the street that said at 2 a.m. a thief is coming. You'd been ready in your living room with your arsenal. Hello? You'd be ready. Don't be coming in my house and taking my stuff. You'd be ready because you knew the word about the thief. And Jesus said, in the same way, if you've heard the word on the street about a thief coming to catch away his people, then be ready. Have your life in order. Believe the gospel. Be saved. Walk in truth. Don't be like the guy who heard there's going to be a thief at 2 a.m. and said, ah, I don't believe that stuff. That's ridiculous. Come on, really. How many times have you ever heard anybody actually break it into a house like that? Really? You think that stuff really happens? Come on. And that guy goes to sleep in his house. He's all happy because he's resting in his own arrogance. And at 2 a.m., the thief shows up and he wasn't ready. He didn't believe the word on the street. Therefore, Jesus says this, verse 44, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Our final point today is this. Jesus is coming. Believers, we must be ready. Amen. Amen? We must be ready. We're not fearing because we're not sure if we're saved or not. No, we stand in the confidence of knowing I'm saved by grace through faith, not of myself, not of works, but just by his hand alone. And if anyone is in his hand, no one can snatch Snatch them out of his hand. Amen? I rest in that. But what you and I must do is be ready for that day for a couple of reasons. One, there's a day of reward coming for every believer. And if you've put your faith in him and you're serving him and you're waiting for the day that faith is made sight, it's coming. For certain it's coming. But it should also cause us to consider the priorities of our life. How are we living? Are we living like Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Or are we living like we got all the time in the world to do whatever we want? Are we living with concern that Jesus is coming tomorrow, therefore I need to pray for those I know that do not know him? I need to be talking about Jesus returning to those who do not know him? Am I living in that way? Am I making decisions in light of eternity or am I making decisions in light of my retirement? Hello? Which one am I doing? Am I living for my comfort and my pleasure or am I living for eternity? Am I living with my thoughts and my priorities and my money and my activities and my talents all for the end of knowing eternity is coming? Jesus said we're to be ready, prepared. I'll close with these words from Romans 13 that was written to believers Do this knowing that the time, that now is high time to awake out of your sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 
The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Church, we must make sure we're awake. Don't be lulled to sleep in the world today. Don't be lulled to sleep in your own fantasy world. Don't be lulled to sleep of just living for your comfort and your pleasure and your ease. Jesus is returning. And we must be ready for that day. We all know loved ones, friends, who don't know the Lord. And we should be living with passion that says, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray until I see them come to know Jesus. I'm going to pray for opportunities so that, God, if you open the door, I'll speak to them about the truth of your return because I want them to be with you and me in heaven. So it's a day that calls us to a real spiritual sobriety today. If you're an unbeliever, today is a good day to come to know the Lord. If you're an uncertain believer, today is a good day to settle it. If you're the believer and you've been asleep more than you've been spiritually awake, it's a good day to wake up. Now, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to come, if you're one of those three, if you're an unbeliever, we're going to have counselors here who can help you know how to ask Jesus into your life and make him Lord of your life. We're going to have people here that you can come to to say, hey, I'm not certain, but I want to nail it down today. I want to be certain. And we're going to have counselors here if you want someone to pray with. Now, you might just want to come and kneel at the altar here and pray for a loved one. But this is a day for us as Jesus followers to do what Jesus followers do. We live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask our counselors to go ahead and come and be here. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And you come. You respond to what the Lord has for you. Father, I thank you for your word that speaks to us today, but also speaks to us about tomorrow. It speaks to us about eternity. And I pray that for every person in this room that you are speaking to, that they'll have the courage to believe what you are saying. The courage to believe and be saved. The courage to accept by faith their salvation and stand in that with confidence. And the courage to wake up out of their spiritual slumber and walk in truth before you. Father, use this time to draw all to yourself. Use this time to help us pray for those that we know who don't know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.